Hey, guys. I didn't even know Kalani was coming till after I got here. Kalani's the best. Well, the Lord has things on his heart for tonight. I hope you know that. I hope that your hearts are opened in that way. Because he doesn't have something to say to everyone in the room but you. Come on, he has something to say to each person that's here. And I've, he's been speaking to me so much in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And I love when he does that. Pastor Skylar Farley, who's going to be with you guys on Wednesday, he texted me this morning just to tell me he was praying for me. And he reminded me, specifically praying for me about tonight. Uh, but he reminded me of a dream I had a couple of years ago where when I finished preaching, he yelled from the crowd, is that all? But then he texted a prayer to me that uh, left me with tears in my eyes. And then when Pastor Paul was talking about Elisha exhorting the king, the young king, Joash, don't just strike the ground one, two, or three times, but keep striking the ground. And it was a reminder for me this evening because, you know, we, life happens. And this, I don't want to talk about all the things in my journey because we all have things going on. But this church, the gathering, has prayed for and even sown financially uh, into our 17-year-old daughter who since January has been on a road of suffering that is physical suffering that is beyond what I can describe to you. My heart is heavy for her. Even as I stand here tonight and I talk to you about what it means to be marked for eternity, this is a message that really uh, is a banner over my life. It's something that the Lord has me talk about a lot. And here I am talking about this again with friends. I've, I've preached here multiple times before. I don't even know how many encounters I've done. Some are said five. Is that right? At least, okay. I've done 362 encounter services with you guys. Uh, but, but that reminder of, because the, the arrow that was placed in the ground was a, um, was a call to war. It was a statement saying that we won't stop right until breakthrough comes. Not just one, two, or three times. We keep striking the ground over and over and over again. And that's why we're here. And that's why I'm here. And as I stand before you tonight, I pray that the Lord ministers to your hearts. He has things on his heart for all of you. But it's an obedience even for me to keep striking the ground. So, Lord, thank you that you put your hands over our hands. You show us how to shoot the arrows. You show us how to declare war. Not because it's exciting. We love the idea of warfare. No, because the fight is real and we need you, God. We need you. So I speak to each one that's here that may be dealing with disappointment or maybe are dealing with things that they've had hidden. I kept hearing that phrase over and over during worship. If they knew, if they knew, so there is, and then Pastor Paul talked about things that are hidden. 
those things that you feel like if you brought to the light, how your spouse would react, your friends would react, those around you would react. He wants you to understand that you are giving leeway to the enemy with that fear. No, we strike the ground and we keep striking it. We're not afraid of the light. We love the light. And we love your presence. And we love that your favorite song is the duet. Not the song you sing alone, but the one that you sing with us. Oh God, may our voices be matched in a beautiful harmony with yours. In our response, in the way we listen and lean in. And we ask God that every single thing that has been on your heart for this night, for every individual, would come forth. That no hindrance of our flesh or of the enemy would stop it. And I speak over your people today. The Lord told me this morning to speak these two words. Be healed from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to talk to you tonight about what it means to be marked for eternity. The Lord made it very clear. That phrase is what I was to declare over you tonight. The word marked means clearly noticeable evident, marked for eternity. I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, and it's Paul's prayer over the church in Ephesus, and I'm going to read these three verses as a prayer over you, and then I'm going to continue in the chapter. This is out of the voice translation, a a portion of Paul's prayer, and I pray it over you. God of our Lord Jesus, the anointed Father of glory, I call out to you on behalf of your people. Give them minds ready to receive wisdom and revelation. Why? So they may truly know you. Open the eyes of their hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Shine your light on the hope you are calling them to embrace. Reveal to them the glorious riches you are preparing as their inheritance. Let them see the full extent of your power that is at work in those of us who believe. And may it be done according to your might and power. Friends, it is the same might and resurrection power that he used in the anointed one to raise him from the dead and to position him at the right hand in heaven. That power, there's no one over him. He's above all rule, authority, power, and dominion over every name invoked, over every title bestowed in this age and the next. God has placed all things beneath his feet and anointed him as head over all things. Why? And this is what the verse says, for his church. The church is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. That same power is accessible to us tonight. But it's not so that we have a good meeting or we're not bored in church. It's so that we partner with him in the way that he deserves. It's about him. It's all about him. Ecclesiastes 3 That famous poetic passage of scripture that the wisest man in all the earth, King Solomon, wrote. The first nine verses, he speaks of a season for everything. To be born and to die, to plant and to harvest, to kill and to heal, to tear down and to build up, to cry and to laugh, to grieve and to dance, to scatter and to gather, to embrace 
and to turn away, to search and to quit, to keep and to throw away, to tear and to mend, to speak and to be quiet, to love and to hate, a time for war and for peace. And then he goes on to say, I have seen the burden God has laid on man. And this is the burden, that things are only beautiful in their time. And then he goes on to say, God did this to plant eternity into every human heart. He planted eternity. What does it mean to plant? It literally means it's placed so it can grow. It's fixed in position. And he desires even tonight to set us on a trajectory where eternity is planted in our hearts, where we are marked for eternity. Because it is in the times of birthing and planting, building up, all those things we love, the laughing, the dancing, the gathering, the mending, the love, the peace. But it's also in the times of the suffering, the death, the tearing down, the crying, the grieving, the scattering, the turning away, the silence, and the war. In fact, it takes both ends of the spectrum for eternity to actually be planted in our hearts. So maybe you think you're the only one suffering as you are or you're sitting next to someone. I think it's an interesting thing on social media. You can scroll through Instagram and one person is giving tribute to their loved one who they just put in the ground and the next post is someone celebrating the birth of someone or you read a heavy post and then there's someone posting something silly about their Air Jordans. I mean, it's just this dynamic with social media but in life it's both ends of the spectrum that's how eternity is placed in our hearts it's not just in the dancing and the rejoicing that's part of it but it's also encountering the treasures stored in dark places eternity is planted inside of us and the only way that we'll stand amidst the storm is if we are truly marked for eternity where we are not of this world. We're not supposed to be comfortable here. Is that my frosty friend back there? Okay, I see you. And you don't even have the shirt on. How's your season going? Is it better? Okay, awesome. I spoke over him last year and I recognized you, which is a miracle. So bless you. How are we marked? Three things. Because that's what very polished speakers do. They shoot three-pointers. All right. I'm not polished. I just thought that would be funny. That's something Pastor Paul would say. All right. How are we marked for eternity? Number one, by the light shone, or you could say shined, on the hope of our calling. We're marked when the light of the Spirit of God brings hope to our calling. I just read it in verse 18. Let the light of your truth flood in. Oh God, shine your light on the hope that you're calling all of them to embrace. In other words, it's not a drudgery. It's, what we, it's not a drudgery. It's what we were made for. We, we all ask the question, it doesn't matter your age or your livelihood, what you've spent your life doing, whether you're at the end of your life or the beginning of your life, we all ask, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? Or a more potent way to ask the question is, what am I spending my life on that will last forever? The human spirit truly desires to give everything to something. 
You might say, no, I'm actually pretty good with mediocre. With the storm of this life, uh, uh, the season that I've been in with our daughter, but also with some peripheral situations, mediocrity can look really good to the flesh, right? But it is the most unfulfilling place for us to live. It's in that spot of mediocrity that we criticize one another, we pick fights. Why? Because we were made for war. And if we're not warring for the right thing, we're going to pick fights with one another. That's really good, actually. (laughs) If we don't have a cause with which to fully spend our lives, we will, of all things, be completely unfulfilled. You've heard it said, without having something to die for, you really have nothing to live for. And it is the truth. A fundamental longing of the human heart. All of us possess it. It's a desire to participate in something that outlives us. We get inspired at funerals, right? We want our lives to leave a mark. I tell the ladies I lead a lot. If you want people to say she was the most kind woman I've ever known at your funeral, guess what? You have to be kind. Like for us to leave the legacy, the things we want said of us, we actually have to live in and stand in. But we can't do it without the light being shown on the hope of our calling. When someone speaks a negative word towards you, and you have the greatest comeback. This happens the most when I'm talking to my husband. I'll see the Lord put his finger over his mouth. I'm like, oh, but Lord, I have the best comeback ever. The Lord's like, that's not what I called you to. And I'm going to show you the hope of that which I've called you to. Right? We need to be people of quietness and strength. And there's a perverted gospel of grace that's filling our land. And it offers a grace that is more of an insurance policy that we're going to be okay for eternity while we're sinning and living the way we want to live. And not only does it produce Christians who are living in complete deception, but it is producing Christians that are terribly unfulfilled. Because it's not what we were made for. We're fighting amongst ourselves. I mean, that's how the Lord would defeat armies that came against God's people. They would start fighting each other. It's like the declaration, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. In other words, there's a different way to walk this out, but it's narrow. And then we just start destroying one another. And he's saying, stop it. You can't be marked for eternity with that. You have to look at the hope. Let God shine light on the hope of what you're called to. In other words, this is going somewhere. Listen, I'm, when Pastor Paul said, bring your intensity, I'm like, check, <laughs> right? That's, you know, that's something that's been said of me a lot. And I've had different seasons in my life where I've despised that about myself. But I can tell you, I didn't come here tonight I'm not good enough to give you a message that makes you feel good. Profound statements, chicken soup for the soul, whatever you want to call it. All I know is I was desperately lost, and he showed me the way. And I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm talking about like this morning. Right? That is who he is. He shines the light on the hope of our calling where I just say, God, this is too hard. I had a conversation with my daughter outside just a few days ago and she was talking about 
all the dreams people have been having about her getting better and being well and just had a lot of questions about that. And I just said, honey, all I can tell you, we do experience miracles and breakthrough on this side of eternity and we are crying out for it and you will be well. However, the guarantee is when we are with him in heaven. And she said, well, is it wrong that that's, that that's what I'm longing for right now? And I want you to know that that is the gift of our suffering. When we long to be there, when we're still here. That's called being marked for eternity. Listen, we want God to operate the way we think he should. And it's not dissimilar to the golden calf in Exodus 32. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments. While he's gone, the people get restless. Very familiar story. They approach Aaron and they say, make something for us that we can worship because this delay thing, he's up on the mountain. We don't know what's going on. That's not for us. We want something we can touch. We want a guarantee in this life. Okay, that's not for anybody in here, right? None of us ever think that way. And Aaron's like, sounds good. Give me the gold of your ears. He takes an offering. And then he fashions for them a calf made out of gold. And they're like, looks good. They bow down and worship him. And then Aaron says, tomorrow we're going to have a feast for Yahweh. Oh, I want to get ahead of myself, but I'm not going to. So here's the context of the golden calf. The Israelites just came out of Egypt. They're headed to Canaan. They came out of their place of slavery. They're headed to their place of bondage. And in both, or they came out of bondage going to their place of promise. But in both pagan cultures of Egypt and of Canaan, the God that they worshipped was a bull. It was this image, this pagan image of a bull. Even with Canaan, it was the, the representation of the God of Baal. So Aaron fashions an idol and he takes this really scary image of the bull, the pagan culture, and he reduces it to a calf and says, that's not quite as bad. Come on, church. He fashions something after his own preferences. He doesn't want things that are fully part of the pagan culture, but this God that delays and that we have to wait on. No, no, no. He created a calf, something that maybe the people would be a little more comfortable with. The people bow down and worship the calf, and then Aaron says, let's have a feast to Yahweh tomorrow. He takes something out of the pagan culture, he inserts it into the worship of Yahweh God and says, this is all for you, Lord. And how often do we choose the things that make us feel better about ourselves, make us feel like good people, when it's just as much a part of the pagan culture and we say, but surely Yahweh understands. All is for your glory, great God, as we're criticizing people in our heads. I didn't know I was going to be quite this strong. We're just like this. We take the really scary version of things in our culture, the things that other people are worshiping, and we try to figure out a safer way to worship the same thing. 
we participate in the practices of the culture. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about a holy God who has an opinion. Our bridegroom king. We try to participate in the practices of the culture and we try to assign a spiritual value to it and we say it's not a problem. We've got to acknowledge our tendency to do so. Our disappointments when we think God should have answered us by now. Listen, I have no words for the images that play through my mind of my daughter's suffering. A sweet, consecrated, pure-hearted girl. Why is she suffering the way she is? And I can decide, God, I'm going to demand that you have to work this certain way and it has to be on my timetable. And in the midst of it, he does with me what he did with the people of Israel in that time. They're worshiping their golden calf. Moses coming down from the mountain and Joshua, his spiritual son, hears the sound of this worship and he says, oh, they're praying. <laughs> Moses says, they're not praying, they're playing. They're worshiping a false idol. But what Moses does is what God is doing with each of us tonight. He stands on the edge of the camp and he says, whoever is for the Lord, come. In the midst of our idol worship, in the midst of the things that we have begun to focus on, the things that we a God made in our image, the mercy of God says on the top of our idol worship, whatever it is for you, the top of the sound of our idol worship, he says, whoever is for the Lord, if you're for me, come, come out of that idol worship. Come out of being so focused on yourself, picking fights, having, being so tight-fisted to your rights rather than saying, actually, that's not how Jesus lived. I choose the narrow way. He is releasing an invitation over the sound of our idolatry. Who will rally to him? According to scripture, the Levites did in Exodus 32, 25, and 26. I'm not going to read it now. You can look at it later. But when the Levites rallied to the call, Moses said to them in verse 29, you've been set apart to the Lord today. Not because you perfectly kept yourself from idols, but because you responded when I called you back home. And there is a sound being released right now where he's calling us back to the beauty of who he is. But he's shining a light of hope on our calling. We tend to focus on what we don't get to do and what everyone else gets away with. I mean, I'm telling you, I know by the Spirit there are a couple of people here. I actually think I know the exact number. I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm saying that so you know that you're on God's mind. You are justifying what you're doing in secret because you have seen others doing worse and getting away with it. And he's saying, whoever is for the Lord, come. The Levites came. They didn't say, why didn't that tribe come? They were doing worse things. No, the Levites responded. Why? Because even in the midst of their wanderings, their hearts were set on him. If your heart is set on him, tonight's the night. See the light of God shining on the hope of his call. When he says, if you're for the Lord, come. Abandon all these things. 
running around with your wild buck Indian mouth just saying whatever you want to say because of everything that's been done to you, all those things that have been against you. I don't say that without compassion, but I'm telling you there is only one who can heal you and set you free, and he will show you the light of when you rally to him, everything changes. All right, take down the volume, Terry. There's a couple of aspects to our call. There's the internal call. There's the external call. The internal call is the primary call. Actually, I was struck by the, your friend on the keys. She's one of your students, Kalani. What? Yeah. What's your name? You're not sure? Nicola. <laughs> Nicola? Am I saying it right? But it had a question mark at the end. Th- this... Like this call to first cultivate the internal call is what he loves about you. Always cultivate the internal call first. It's why you've been hidden and he loves it. Like he rests on you in such a beautiful way. Of course, your name was hard and I think I said it wrong, but we're called to do what he did. (laughs) It's a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. It's being meek and pure (laughs) without regard to people noticing all we do for God, rewarding us with money or honor, God forbid. Or God, why is my influence so small? The ladies that have heard me speak a lot, I talk about this. Like we have women's conferences. We do everything we can think of to tell people about it. I mean... Write personal letters, make phone calls, try to follow the prophetic leading of the Lord on who to invite, how to get the word out. Like for months and months and months and months, yes, we try to cultivate a a culture of prayer and ask God to move, but we do try to figure out ways to get ladies connected with our conference. It's coming up again in October, and there was this one year, I think it was two years ago, I was... I mean, we, like I would come to the office again and go like, all right, I have this idea. Not a gimmick, but this is how we can get the word out because we really believe in what is going to happen at our conferences. And I mean, I don't even know how to explain the labor to make it happen. And I think that particular year, four or 500 women ended up coming. That's awesome. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm on social media, and Priscilla Shire, who I love, does these events called Awake DFW, and she says, ladies, we just opened registration 10 minutes ago, and we have 15,000 women. I'm like, wow. Okay, God. But that's not, he didn't call me to have that, that measure of impact and influence. I love Priscilla. She, she is, we've had her at our church. She is warm. She is committed to the word of God. That's why I could say her name. It's not a negative thing towards her. It's, it's me having to fight the temptation of what is reward. No, he has to shine light on the hope of our calling. And that's that one day when we stand before him, he says, you took the one talent, the two talents, the five talents, and you multiplied them and gave them back because the reward is the same no matter what you've been given. And that's well done. At the end of the age... May Jesus' testimony be that my life was successful. 
That's the hope of our calling, friends. It's an internal calling to be a faithful disciple of Jesus when no one's looking. Do you look more in love with him when you're alone or when people are watching? Listen, I'm not saying that to bring condemnation to you. I'm saying that to release the call like he did over the Levites. Come out of the idolatry of even your own image and rally to him. Because in our internal call, we embrace what the world calls foolish. Humility, serving, giving, praying, forgiving. And you have such beautiful examples of this in your pastors. I love you too. I love your whole team, but the humility, the serving, the giving, wow, that's cultivating the internal call. And there's hope. May the, may the light of his truth shine and give you hope to what you're called to. It's not drudgery, it's life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and a whole bunch of people find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life. It's beautiful. There's also our external call and that's what we tend to focus more on. It is important, but it's not as important as our internal calling. This is the aspect of our divine assignment. It includes our position, our function, in the marketplace, in a ministry organization, in our home. Whether you're called to be a consecrated single man or woman, a wife, a husband, a parent of kids, a parent of spiritual kids, a Sunday school teacher, what are your assignments? Because he wants to shine light and give you hope attached to your calling. The intercessors that are in our midst, be faithful. He sees. And he wants to give you new light to the hope of your calling. You have to see yourself in the story. Josiah was considered the great, one of the greatest kings of Israel. And in one place in scripture, he's called the greatest king in scripture. His stories in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34. He was the son and the grandson of two extremely wicked kings. Some of you think that you just have to repeat the cycles of your family, and it's not true. So, jo jo I think I said Joash. Josiah became king when he was eight. And he became king when he was eight because his father, his evil father king, was assassinated. By the time he was 16, Josiah said, my life as king will be marked with a rediscovery of the law of the Lord. And he began to reform Israel at the age of 16 because he, uncompromisingly, not with a political agenda, he said, we're going back to the truth of the word of God. When he was 16 years old, he led Israel in a revival that surpassed the revival of even David. The greatest revival in the history of the Old Testament. A 16-year-old king who had a father and a grandfather who were wicked and about their own agendas. In 2 Kings 23, 25, it says, Before him, speaking of Josiah, there was no king like him 
who turned to the Lord. There was no other king that turned to the Lord with all of his heart like Josiah and with all of his soul and with all of his might like Josiah according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. But consider this, a couple of hundred years before in 1 Kings 13, before Josiah was born, one of the prophets said, and this is paraphrased, there will be a child named Josiah, God will raise him up. A few hundred years later, an eight-year-old boy inherits the throne, and it's God who raised him up. He had a deep relationship with the Lord. He saw his name in the story. I don't know if he read in the, in the Chronicles of 1 Kings. I'm not sure. But he definitely saw his name in the story, and he responded. You have to see your name. You have to see yourself in the story. Cyrus, a Persian king, an Iranian, he was an unbeliever 150 years before he was born. Isaiah said, God will raise up Cyrus. When they brought this report to Cyrus, they said to him, actually, the God of Hebrews talked about you. This so moved Cyrus's heart, an unbeliever, that he became one of the most important men in Israel's history. He, he finished the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. The building of, he completed the building of the city of Jerusalem, the building of the temple, and he funded it himself. Why? Because he saw his name in the story. He wants to shine light on the hope of your calling. It's not about how hard it is. It's about the hope that's attached to it. Alexander the Great, the conquering Grecian king, he conquered most of the known world. I've done a study on the book of Daniel. And tradition tells us that when Alexander the Great was, was passing through Jerusalem, the priests opened up the Bible to Daniel 8. And showed him that it was prophesied that there would be a conquering king that came from Greece. Tradition tells us he couldn't believe it. And this was the reason. This isn't tradition. This is a historical fact. That Alexander the Great honored the nation of Israel. Why? Because he was written in God's story. He wants to shine the light of his truth on the hope attached to your calling. We've got to see ourselves in the story. One of our staff members this past Thursday, Roshonda Hawkins, she's married to Derek Hawkins, one of our executive pastors. She preached about the story, and she said this line over and over. Play your role. Stick to the script. And he makes it so beautiful, you guys. But instead we think, well, he, he, not me. I can do what I want or he doesn't care what I do. And the reality is he knew you'd be living in this time to have the influence and impact that you're supposed to have. And we just say, yes, God. I've wondered if the man in the parable of the talents, the one with the one talent, if maybe he buried it because he was disappointed that he wasn't given the same measure as the others. I don't know. But I do know this. If we take what he's given us and we steward it in the way that he's worthy, we all get the same reward. There is great hope, great hope in his calling. How are we marked? We're marked by the light that is shown on the hope of our calling. Number two, 
When light shines against something, what does it produce? If light shines on me, someone said it, a shadow. How are we marked? By the light shown on the hope of our calling and number two, by the valley of the shadow. We don't love this part, but it's how we're marked for eternity. Jesus warned his followers about deception more than anything else. He told his disciples before he left the earth, there will be many who try to deceive you. As a matter of fact, even the elect will be deceived if possible. And I believe the thing that will make it possible is us being offended with God and offended with others. That's how we're deceived. Because in Revelation 15, when there's all kinds of trouble and difficulty, when the counterfeit church goes up in smoke, the remnant bride will say her wedding vows, we agree, your ways are right, God. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, we trust your ways. We're marked for eternity because we decide to come out of being offended with his ways. Many, many, even the elect will be deceived because they're offended by the trial or the storm. No, we wanted a calf. We wanted something we could touch. We even gave all the gold that we possessed to have the God we wanted. Lord, help us. But he has to be our treasure and our reward. Because even in the valley of the shadow of death, it is there that we say, oh no, he is with me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm going to emphasize some words in these first three verses. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, there's a shift in the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why did I emphasize the he in the first part? Because in the first three verses, David talks about God, the he who will do these different things. Make us lie down in green pastures, lead us beside still waters. He does this. But after he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't talk about he anymore. He talks about you. He's talking to God. There's an intimacy with him. It switches. He says, your rod and your staff whether it's discipline or leadership, I love it because you're trustworthy. How are we marked for, by, marked for eternity? We're marked for eternity because the light of his truth shines and give us hope, gives us hope for our calling. But also 
We experience the valley of the shadow of death, and he is with us. But we're not going to experience that intimacy that's stored in dark places unless we lay the offense down. Bitter waters are what are extinguishing the fires of revival. I believe it with all my heart. Romans 5.1, we're justified by faith, and this gives us peace with God. Some of you have been offended with God, and tonight's the night to make peace. Why? Because you're a Levite. And even though you've been distracted and wanted a God that operated in a different way and you had certain preferences that he wasn't measuring up to, as the invitation is given tonight, you're going to respond because your heart is soft towards him. Some of you are offended with God and you need to make peace. Some of you are offended with people and you need to make peace. Why? Because our bridegroom king forgave us of a debt we could never pay. And anything that's been done against you pales in comparison to what you owed your bridegroom king. And we know according to the parable in Matthew 18 that when you choose to not forgive, you are in prison and tortured. That's been the missing piece of the puzzle. No matter how hard you try, you are in torment and torture because of what has been done to you. You've had a hard time forgiving and it has you in prison. Listen, we don't forgive people based on what we think they deserve. We forgive people based on what we deserved and what he forgave us of. And we're in prison when we don't. We're marked for eternity when we allow his light to shine on the hope of our calling. We're marked for eternity when we don't despise the valley of the shadow of death because that's where we find intimacy. And thirdly, we're marked for eternity by a revelation of our inheritance. This is so important. The world, the enemy, our flesh, we're always looking at the past instead of the future. That, those disappointments, like we're so clouded by even, either our failures of the past or the glory days gone by. And being driven by the past makes us ashamed and depressed and stuck. But when we're driven by the future, especially when considering the inheritance he has prepared, especially considering the moment when we see Jesus, we realize we're rich because of our Father. Listen, everything we've done on this earth will either bring reward or regret. For the reward, we've got to deal with our past. We've got to deal with our regrets. Why? Because it will keep us from seeing the hope of our calling. It'll keep us from being marked for eternity. Consider Lot and his wife. They knew destruction was coming. The story of Lot and his wife and the daughters in Genesis 19, I mean, that's an intense story. Angels, visitors from heaven, visiting Sodom. Lot says, come to my house. No, we'll stay here in the city square. No, you must come to my house. They go to his house. They're inside the house. Every man of Sodom, young and old, surround the house, and they're begging to have sex with the angels inside. That was the level of perversion. And Lot is so disoriented that instead of standing for what's right, he offers his pure daughters instead. Well, thank God that 
heaven pulls Lot back in. Get in here. Get inside the house. Reconsider the way you're thinking. Get your daughters. Get your future sons-in-law. Get your wife and get out of here. Destruction's coming. This is a wicked place. And whatever you do, don't look back. And we know that Lot's wife looked back. We don't know why she looked back. We don't know if it was because of regret. We don't know if it's because of what her daughters just went through or if it's because there was something about that part of her life that she didn't want to let go of. And the outcome wasn't good. The reality is we can't look back. Some of you are looking back. You keep looking back. There's something about what's back here that has become attractive to you. Somehow it becomes the penance for your shame or there's something about it that you started to tell yourself those days were easier, they were better. No, 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 no. There is an inheritance if we'll just hold on and stay the course. All right, I had another thing I was going to share, but I'm actually going to close and I forgot it was going to be dark. But I'm going to do my best with this illustration because Chandra brought it all the way here for me. So let's imagine that this rope, I don't know if you can see, but they're coiled. There's three coils of rope on these posts. 75 feet of rope. It's all we could afford. Rope's expensive. Did you know that? It's all Pastor Paul would let me get was 75 feet. <laughs> it's not true. But just imagine this rope is super long. This is a borrowed illustration, but I felt to share it with you. It represents all of eternity. All the time that we're going to live in eternity. And this red part, it goes from here to here. It represents your life here on earth. And I don't know what it is about our humanity, but we're so consumed with this part. When we have all of this that we're going to live. We just say, well, let's have our emergency fund and our retirement fund. To me, retirement funds are, are funny because in this space of red, our retirement is like this little sliver right here at the end. I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise with our investments. My husband is a businessman, entrepreneur. He's very wise with money. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm talking about everything that happens in here, the heartbreak, the disappointments, the victories, the things we think we deserve. We tie our identity and our idea of who God is to this part when we're going to live for all of eternity. You are marked for eternity when you consider your inheritance. Listen, our life doesn't feel like a vapor right now, but there's coming a day. It will take our breath away. And we'll say that was no joke. It was a vapor. Eternity with him ruling and reigning for the first thousand years. Let's just take the millennial reign. Ruling and reigning with him. No hindrances in space. Being wherever we want to be. Listen, I'm just going to throw this out there. When my family went on the ride Soren in Epcot, I was laughing but weeping at the same time. I don't know if you've been on that ride. It's a virtual experience. But you go from like the Grand Canyon. And it, it's like, it's so well done. 
and you sweep down in the Grand Canyon and then your feet touch down in the Sydney Bay and then the glaciers in Greenland and Iceland and it takes your breath away and it was this virtual experience but I'm telling you I was having like this out-of-body experience like this this isn't even the beginning of what it's going to be like and I'm about to scream my head off like I don't know if maybe you've gone through a trial I, I this summer scrolling through Instagram seeing everyone's vacations and most of our Time's been in hospitals and in doctor's offices. I'm not saying that as a complaint. Honestly, I'm actually good, but I smiled to myself one day thinking, you know what? There's coming a day. Anywhere in the world I can think of it and be there because of my inheritance that my father has prepared. Like the most awe-inspiring beauty, but the earth will be cleansed and renovated and we will spend a thousand years ruling and reigning with him. But I can't talk you into it. The reward alone will not be enough for us to, for, for us to be marked. He has to become our inheritance. I'm not talking about just talking you into it. There's some people tonight that need to say, you know what? I, I haven't tasted him like that. What he has to offer hasn't been enough for me. And I need to see him. Like I need the light of his truth to shine on the hope of my calling as a daughter, as a son of the king. The narrow way is worth it. But unthinkable things happen in the narrow way. Difficult losses, death to the flesh. But life happens. Multiplied glory, joy instead of happiness. Contentment instead of chasing some worldly dream. Friends, he wants to mark us for eternity tonight. And then we begin to long for the flames of revival so that we can experience the Spirit's power as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. And I'm telling you, the reason why we're not burning in our churches is because we haven't gotten outside of ourselves enough. We've been content with the golden calf. Because it's not as bad as the world, but it's something we can see and manipulate and control. Wow. I feel the conviction of the Spirit of God right now in my own life. I'm not saying that to be dramatic. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I had this happen during worship tonight, and I thought, well... I think it's just the way this depot looks, this train station, but I kept having these flashes of Narnia. You know, like, I think it's a subway, and then, you know, they, they would see these images of what they experienced in Narnia, and there was this longing. The Lord wants to burn eternity in your hearts tonight. This is headed somewhere, church. This isn't about us just laying a bunch of stuff down so we feel like we're good Christians. No. This is headed somewhere. 
Isn't it the gladiator that says, <laughs> Maximus, whatever we choose now will be echoed for all of eternity? Oh, God, burn it in the hearts of your church, your people tonight. Like no truer words have ever been spoken. Our desire for an outpouring of the Spirit of God is what the Word of God tells us. It's given as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. We haven't even begun to see the glory that He has available to us on this side of eternity, but it's so glorious that we say, if this is just the deposit, I can't wait to see what He has prepared. If I can have that moment on that ride in Epcot, a man-made virtual experience. I heard the Lord say it during worship, just like in those Narnia movies where they would hear that call, like the, they're beckoning, they're longing to go back to that place. That's what our quiet times are supposed to be like. We long to be with Him again. Our corporate gatherings. Not where we jump super high and get prophesied over and all those things are part of God's heart. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm talking about experiencing the glory of God where it's Him. It's like we're the only one in the room and we see the beauty in His eyes. And we say, oh God, this is just a moment. Like when miracles take place and healings take place. We're not impressed with those, but instead we say, if this is just a deposit of what's to come, I And I blew out the mic for a moment. Sorry about that. Oh God, mark your church. Mark your church. I don't even know what to do next, but I know that he does. And I feel like there's going to be others that come and minister. I saw it. No pressure on anyone. I've never even met Pastor Allen, but it is Allen, right? Even when I was talking about Elisha and putting his hands around the king to teach him how to shoot the arrows, like that's you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This isn't about me. This isn't even about you guys. It's about his work his work his work in your life his calling over your life you're supposed to find hope in it because it's beautiful and it's life it's not destruction we have to get over ourselves and I'm telling you some of us in this place you want what you want you have such a tight fist like Lord I'll serve you but, but don't make me let go of this and it's only because you don't know how beautiful and how hopeful your calling is. The internal calling, that's the important one. But the external calling as well. It's only because you're afraid of the valley of the shadow of death. But it's in that place that we grow in intimacy with Him. And we experience an aspect of Him that is undescribable. Some of you have feared death. Difficult things coming to those that you love. Listen, 
He will be with you and in you. He will carry you. He is enough. He is enough. And it's what marks you for eternity. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Stop sweating the small stuff. He's speaking in such a major way. I don't know how to hear God. Ask him, God, what things do you want me to lay down? I guarantee you, you're going to hear him. The holy God's going to speak to you tonight. If you are in so much pain, he's the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He has everything you need. And he's the redeemer. He's the redeemer. He's the redeemer. All right, I'm just going to do this and then others will come. Just a couple of things. And I just want to encourage you, close your eyes, just you and him. If you're here and you're afraid, no, let me, let me say this differently. You're here, and that's you. Like, if only they knew this. And it has had you so paralyzed that you, you can't even begin to see the beauty of your calling. He's going to set you free tonight. And I'm not going to try to make this easier because you're going to experience his glory as you respond. If that's you, stand to your feet wherever you are. Like, I'm not going to have this threat of shame and embarrassment. Hold me captive. This takes a lot of guts. And I'm not going to labor here, but I am going to just let it sit for a moment. Your heart's beating in your chest. That's probably the mercy of God. Tonight's the night. Well, if I stand, people will think it's this other thing. No, then you're not ready. But if you don't want that threat to keep you bound any longer, I don't know what it's going to mean. It's just you saying, Lord, I have open hands. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet and say, I I'm coming into the light of the hope of his calling. And the internal part is the important part. I'm going to move on, but this is your opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Yep, thank you. And it was your courage that gave others courage. Yep, I see you. All right, the number the Lord gave me, there's one more, and then I'm going to move on. I'm not going to try to manipulate you into it. Tonight's the night. That thing's not going to hold you bound anymore. It's just you giving it to the Lord. Thank you. So we run to you, Lord. We run to you. We run to you. Thank you, Jesus. If you know you need to be marked for eternity in a greater way, either you're not marked at all, like the things I'm talking about are completely foreign to you, or you know you've been marked by some on some level, but you need to be marked in a greater way. I'm not saying this to manipulate you. I'm saying it to be authentic. I'm standing to this call. I want to be marked for eternity in a greater way. I want you to stand to your feet in the name of Jesus and let the glory of God confront you right where you are. Mark us, God. Mark us for eternity. Shine the light of the hope of our calling, O oh God. Help us to not despise the valley of the shadow and 
burn in us the glory of our inheritance. In Jesus' name.